This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. This is where it all began, right here in this fellowship hall, the leaders of Petaluma Christian Church gathered after a time of fasting and prayer to discuss what they heard from God. The result was a vision they called Five and Five by Five that included starting five churches by the year 2005. It was a God-sized dream for a small church, but that's probably why God honored it. He loves it when we dream God-sized dreams, and today... That little church of 125 people has grown to more than 1,000 people through the churches it's planted. New Life is church number two in that great vision. Our next landmark day was just five weeks later. People were already deciding to follow Jesus. So we gathered right here around the baptism behind me for our first baptism service. Mark and Lisa Bernard, who are still part of our church today, We're the first of more than 500 baptisms now. This is Sonoma Mountain School, the place of our grand opening on February 1st, 1998. That day, our tiny little band of a couple dozen people and whoever else we could get to volunteer carried in children's ministry, projection, sound equipment through 35 mile per hour gusts of wind and sheets of pouring rain. Our spirits couldn't be dampened that day We were convinced God was up to something big and we wanted to be part of it. In spite of the weather, 245 people showed up that day and we were off and running. I'm standing here on the stage at Lucchese Center. This auditorium and its surrounding classrooms were home to our church for nearly eight years. Who could forget the great times of people deciding to follow Jesus and getting baptized and dedicating their kids, or the not-so-great times of people falling through chairs that weren't welded properly or the stench of beer-soaked carpets. But it was here that God raised more than a million dollars required to move us to our present home. So here we are at Clegg Street. It's our current home, but certainly not our destination. Far from it. We haven't arrived. Everything God has done so far, He has done with an eye on our future. Our best and brightest days are still ahead. We live in an area that's still largely unchurched. Most of our friends and family are disconnected from any personal relationship with God. And there are coming generations to reach. Our work, our assignment from God, our mission it's still largely unfulfilled. The first 15 years have been great, even spectacular in some ways. We are deeply blessed and truly grateful, but our hearts are still set on the future. So what is next? Well, I couldn't be happier or more excited to share it with you. This is a day like no other. This is our time. Let's get at it. Good morning, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. 
Am I there? Yeah, there we are. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, now you can hear. All right, yes. Welcome to a day like no other. Was that a fun look at our past? Yeah, that was great. Uh, listen, if you were here for the grand opening, would you stand? I know, it's not going to be very many of you. There you go. These are my heroes. These are people I love every single one of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. One other thing, if you have been baptized at New Life, would you stand, please? Thank you. What a great morning. Listen, if you're looking for teaching notes, there are no teaching notes this morning. This is just about you listening and hearing what God has to say. We've got a ton of stuff to do. So I'm going to jump right into our future. We've been sending you sort of a blog every week. It looks like a weekly email. And uh, many of you are reading it. You have seen this verse in a recent one. And I'm going I'm to use it as our launching point this morning. The book of Joel, God says this. I will pour out my spirit on your on all people, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And God is saying, when the church gets next to Him, He starts to stir up vision about the future and what He wants to do. And this morning, I'm going to lay out for you the original vision God gave for me, and two smaller visions that are a part of that. They're all God-sized visions. They're all great for our church. And then Kevin's going to come up and share a vision that God has given him. And Justin is going to share one. And Angela's going to share one. And you'll see how that they're all really part of one superhuman God-sized vision. So let's jump into that vision. The first time that God began to speak to me in my heart, I was, I was a junior high kid and I was sitting in church and my eyes landed on this passage of scripture out of the book of Acts. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place. And they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions. They shared the money with those who were in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in their homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God... And, and, and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I'm a 13 or 14-year-old kid sitting in church, and I fell in love with that church. They were so on fire for God, and they were so on the move. I remember getting chicken skin in church. You ever got chicken skin in church? Hopefully you have. It's a great thing. I, and, and, and I remember thinking to myself, I've visited a lot of churches, and they've got some good people in them, but honestly, they didn't sound like that, that group of people. And I remember sitting there and wondering, that's code for dreaming, God you think it's possible for that kind of church to exist in my lifetime? 
And I prayed a prayer. And it went something like this. Okay, God, I know I'm just 13. I know I'm just a kid. And this might be a silly or crazy prayer to you. I don't know for sure. But God, someday, if it's possible, I want to be part of that kind of a church. I don't know where I'd find it, but I want to be part of that kind of a church. God locked that dream in my mind from that day forward, and it became like a compass to me. Every church he took me to, whether I was just a member sitting out in the chairs, or whether I was on the pastoral staff, or or whether I, I was the senior pastor, that passage is like a compass. And and I have felt God saying, every church you're in, call them to that. Try to get them to be more like that. That's how I want my church to be. That's what I want my church to do. That's the culture I want in my church. And so God has taken that dream at 13. And I can tell you, of all the churches that I've ever known, of all the churches that I've ever been associated with, of all the churches that I've ever had even any real inside knowledge about, I'm so excited to tell you that this church, New Life, is more like that church in the Bible than any church I know anywhere at any time. That's an awesome thing, don't you think? And we are become yes, that's, that's worth applauding. And the good news is we are becoming more and more like that church every day. Now, locked up in that dream are two other God-sized dreams that I want to share with you this morning over the next few minutes. And the first dream is this, okay? That our church would change the spiritual climate in our community. They did. How are we going to do it? The same way that they did it and the same way that Jesus did. Put it, put it very simply, it's like this. By being an outrageously accepting, loving, and generous people. Friends, the world that that church lived in was very much like the world you and I live in. Morals were loose. People in the business world had created a climate of greed. Sound familiar? The religious leaders all gathered in their little church buildings and they condemned all the heathen out there and preached messages of condemnation about loose morals and greed. But none of that reflected God's heart and it was empty of God's power. It isn't that God doesn't have an answer. He does have an answer. And God's answer will always be this. He will raise up a group of people who are outrageously accepting, loving, and generous. And it will be so opposite of what the world is used to. It will be like turning the world upside down. And that's exactly what they did. Their homes, they didn't view them ever the same again. What used to be the home for their family became a gathering place for a small group of people within the church. And they ate their meals together with joy and generosity. What used to be the temple where they went for solemn worship services became a place that rocked with Christians and it was exciting and it was electric and and it was just great. What used to be a town that was more about a formal religion became a city that was turned upside down by the Christians. 
And wherever these Christians went, they took that culture with them. And in fact, this is what the Bible says later people said about them. These people who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Would it not be great if the people of our community said, that church has turned our community upside down? Are you on board with that? Yeah, that's the deal. That's what God has called us to. That's His dream for His church. Now, that stands in stark contrast to a fact I came across a few weeks ago. In the typical American church, 90% of all the people who will ever make the decision to follow Christ through the ministry of that church, 90% of them will make that decision in that church in the first 10 years of its existence. And then the church goes on cruise control. You know what that means? All churches start out wanting to be like that church. But within 10 years, they've already given up on that dream. And now they just exist. Friends, that's tragic. That's unacceptable. And I'm here to tell you, New Life is not that kind of church. You know how I know? We are 15 years old now. We should be five years into our snooze. But you know something? In what most pastors call the summer slump, you know, June, July, and August, in the last two months, 24 people have been baptized right here during the summer slump. How fun is that? We stood on this stage and said, God has a great journey for us this fall. It's called Not a Fan, and Angela spoke to you about it earlier this morning. But we said, in order for that to be what God wants it to be, we've got to go from 18 or 19 life groups to 32 life groups at a minimum. And that means we need you to go out and pray this through with God. And some of you are going to need to step into places of leadership you've never stepped in before. We want you to engage with God because we believe God's going to move as God wants to move among us. And 50 of you on that initial Sunday said, I'll engage with God about that. Listen, this fall we have 33 life groups. 54 leaders who have stepped up to either lead or coordinate in those life groups, and we have 13 coaches who are working with those leaders. That dream is alive and well. I got to tell you one other story before I get to dream number two. A couple of weeks ago, I was, I was uh, visiting one of our members in the intensive care unit at Petaluma Valley Hospital, and I stepped out of the room, and I was just getting ready to leave, and the charge nurse came up to me with a question that, that, that I didn't expect her to ask. She said, who are you and what do you do? Well, the reason she asked me has to do with prayer and so forth. And I said, well, my name is Ron, and I pastor a church in our town. She said, what church? And I said, New Life. She goes, I should have guessed by your shoes. I was wearing the same Converse All-Stars I'm wearing this morning. And I looked at her and I said, what do you mean? She said, listen to this. She said, aren't you that young, hip church that's, that's helping all these people in our town? I didn't have the nerve to tell her I was 62. 
right? You know what I love? I, yes, I love to, but anytime someone says young and hip, I'm okay with that. But you know what I really loved? Her description of our church. That church that's helping all these people in our town. And she went on to tell me, a couple of my friends have started coming to New Life. And she said, they won't stop talking about it. And they just tell me how wonderful it is. And I keep running into people in our community. And their lives are being changed through your church. i got to tell you, on the inside, I didn't know whether to burst into tears or dance. You know what I did know? That dream, that God-sized dream, that He would use us, this church, to change how our community looks at Jesus... Friends, I'm on board with that. That is God's dream for our church, and we get to live it out. Are you excited about that? I am very excited about that. Let's go to dream number two. Dream number two is, you know, if we change the spiritual climate in in our community, but a generation from now, we're all old and, and, and the church dwindles and becomes nothing. I'm not okay with that. So here's the second dream. And it's a big one that our church would be alive and thriving when Jesus returns. How are we going to do that? Well, the same God who always has an answer has an answer about this. And there's a pattern in Scripture I want to take you to. And I'll show it to you in the life of the Apostle Paul. Here's what Paul did. Now, Paul was on a missionary journey. And it says he went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. Timothy caught Paul's eye. Why? His mother was a Jewish believer. His father was a Greek. But Timothy was well thought of by the believers in both Lystra and Iconium. This was a promising young leader. And so Paul said, okay, Timothy. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him along on the journey. It's why Jesus chose 12 people that that we call apostles, and he invested in them. And Paul chose Timothy and Titus and several other young guys from the coming generation, and he invested in them. It's why Moses chose a young man by the name of Joshua, and Moses invested in him. It's why Elijah chose a young prophet by the name of Elisha, and he invested in him. All of those people, and across the pages of Scripture, this pattern exists because they all understood one principle, and it's a powerful, and here it is on the screen. And that is, the coming generation can never effectively be reached with this generation's leaders. It's never been done in history, and it won't be done in the future. That's not how God wired us. In the typical American church, the church gets old with its pastor. That's that's just how it works. And pretty soon, they all ask each other a question. Where are all the young people in our church? Well, there is an answer. There's actually two answers for that. The first one is, the young people in your church you're talking about are the old duffers you're now looking at. It's the same gang. The real tragedy is this. You didn't identify promising leaders in the coming generation. You didn't raise them up. You didn't invest in them. 
and you haven't trained and empowered them to accept the leadership in the church, and now your church is powerless to reach the coming generation because all you have left is this generation's leaders. Can I tell you that today we take the wraps off of an intentional culture that we will set in our church? We value people of every generation. But we also recognize that it is imperative for us as a church to identify leaders in the coming generation and raise them up and invest in them and to continually pass the leadership of the church onto them because if even one pastor in the future for our church does not do that, then our church will get old with that pastor and it will dwindle and die with that pastor. That is not okay. Our church should be thriving when Jesus comes again. And by God's grace, it will. So, guess what? Here's what we're going to do. On February the 15th of this coming year, we are going to make Kevin our lead pastor. And I'm going to give you some history behind that. But we're going to make Kevin our lead pastor. And I've already charged him. Look, man, what I'm doing right now 25 or 30 years from now, you better be doing that. And I hope God allows me to live to be 92. Because if he does, I want to watch you do that. Right? It's an intentional culture. It's a great culture. Okay? I want to give you a little bit of the history because some of you didn't see that coming. And you're going to think, oh, my goodness. Is this, a, is this well prepared for? Sure it is. Seven years ago, I sat down with our leadership team. And I said, look. I'm 55. We need to think about who's going to succeed me as the lead pastor in our church. And they said, we don't even want to think about that. And I said, nevertheless, we will. Right? And we will pray about that. So we decided to pray about it. Not too long after that, Monica and I jumped in a car on Thursday evening because we had heard about the, the, the great thing that God was doing through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship up on the Sonoma State University campus. And we knew that Kevin was the director of that. But a growing number of students were coming to New Life. And we knew that that, that, that um, chapter had grown from about 30 students to over 200 students in a relatively short period of time. So we just wanted to go see what God was doing. And so we jumped in a car on a Thursday night. We drove up for their Nexus service. And we got there and we watched Kevin, who was the on-campus director at the time, work with a whole group of leaders that he had, that he had been investing in. And we watched him uh, pull them together as a team. And we heard him stand up and preach the gospel and teach people and give them an invitation to accept Christ. And, and we felt God's Spirit moving among those college students that night. We got in the car on the way home. We looked at each other and we said, are you thinking? what I'm thinking? Yeah. Kevin could be the guy that God would bring on the staff of New Life. So I made it a point for, for Kevin. I said, would you come in and speak with your pastor, please? That's what everybody loves to get, right? A call from the pastor. <laughs> Kevin came in. I don't think he was too afraid. He came in and I said, I got a wild and crazy, couple of wild and crazy ideas to throw by you. Question number one is, you know, is InterVarsity going to be your career or do you, do you have a time commitment that you're committed to them? And he said, my, it's not going to be my career. I love doing it and I'm committed for two more years. 
I said, what are you going to do after that? And he said, I really feel like God's calling me to become a pastor. And I said, here's my first wild and crazy idea. How about coming on the staff of New Life at that point? He goes, I would love to do that. I said, okay. Uh, my second idea is a little wilder and a little more crazy. At some point, God's going to choose someone who will step into my role as a lead pastor in our church. And I think you might be that guy. He said, I don't know that for sure, and I can't make any promises, and I don't want to put any strings on this, but I want you to begin to pray about it. So we agreed to pray about it, and he went his way and continued to work at InterVarsity, and I continued to work with our staff. And two years later, when his uh, commitment to InterVarsity was coming to a close, okay, we need to talk about this again, but by then he had gotten married. And so okay, let's bring Maria into the conversation. I brought Monica along, and the four of us sat down together, prayed together, and began to talk, and really felt like God was, was, was really moving Kevin toward new life. So I sat down with the leadership team again, and I said to them, look, I want you to interview Kevin, but I want you to interview him not as just a potential staff member for our church. I want you to interview him from the standpoint, could he be the person that God would possibly bring into leadership in our church who would be my successor as a potential lead pastor for our church? They said, okay, we will. Went through the rounds of interviews, hired him, everyone agreed this could actually be a great thing. We see God's hand in this. So from day one, I had Kevin on our teaching team. I said, I want, you to, I want you to be part of our teaching team. And for the last five and a half years, Kevin has been a regular teacher in our church for two reasons. It's good for you to be taught by more than one person. But also, I wanted to make sure that you would relate to him, he would relate to you, and I wanted to be able to mentor him in that role. In those last five plus years, we've used Kevin in a number of capacities, overseeing youth and children's ministries. Uh, He completely overhauled and put a whole new face on our life group ministries and just changed the whole culture of life groups in our church. And then we moved him into the Sunday experience where he was over what took place during our church service and the various volunteers and putting together teaching series. And this whole summer of love thing and, and last summer's uh, Servolution, it was really Kevin working behind the scenes to put together the things like the love bombs and the love does things that, that we've put on the walls and, and all these other things that we have done. It's really been Kevin working behind the scenes to make all that happen because God was growing and expanding his leadership capacity and God was taking him through a series of things that would qualify him to be able to step into the role that God knew he was preparing him for. So I can tell you, Kevin is ready. Our church is ready. And so five months from today, on February 15, I am going to officially pass the leadership baton of our church to Kevin. Okay? That is going to be a fun Sunday. That's going to be a great Sunday for our church. Now... There's a couple of questions I want to answer quickly before I turn it over to Kevin. One is, what's, what am I going to do? Okay? I want to say a couple of things clearly. I am not getting on my saddle and riding off into the sunset to play golf. Okay? 
I got way much, way too much gas left in the tank. I've got way too much vision and passion for Jesus to do that. Okay? So, here's what I'm, I'm super excited about what God has for me. Uh, I hope you are too. Okay? I am going to stay right here at New Life. I'm going to continue to serve on our staff. My new title will be Teaching and Mentoring Pastor. I'm going to continue to teach with Kevin uh, on um, a Sunday rotation. I'm going to be mentoring Kevin as he steps into this role as lead pastor so he can ask me any question he wants to ask behind the scenes. And hopefully I can share with him a wisdom of 40 years of ministry experience so that as he leads our church in, in the decisions and visions that God gives him, they can, they can have some of my wisdom in them as well. Okay, So I'm going to mentor him. For the last three or four years, I really haven't been able to do the work out in the community that, that I did over the first 10 years of our church's existence. So I'm going to get to go back out into the community. I get to work with our mayor, our city council members. I'm going to work with the Chamber of Commerce, with the chief of police, with the fire chief, and all these other people who actually set the culture in our community. When I run into these people over and over again, they ask me one question. When are you coming back into the city? You know what I'm telling them now? February 16th. I'm coming back into the city to be an influence for Christ to help change the spiritual climate in our community. Does that sound like fun? So what's our role? Okay, Our role as a church, we have five months to pray and support this transition. We have five months to ask questions. We have five months to adjust and get ready for this because on February the 15th, I want, us, I want us to hit the ground with our feet running. We've got a great, not a fan thing that we're going to be doing between now and then. We're not going to be taking a break between now and then, but I want us to be able to hit that time full speed ahead. Okay, Kevin and I are making ourselves available. No question is too trivial, and believe me, no subject is too sensitive. Kevin's not power hungry. Kevin hasn't been driving this. The leadership hasn't said to me, hey, old man. Okay? I've been the one pulling everyone along, saying, we got to get on with this. This is God's timing. So listen, we're making ourselves available. Ask any question. Touch any subject. We love working together. This is God's dream for our church. This is the next season He has for us. The opportunities that are ahead of us are greater than any opportunity we've ever had in our history. And God has orchestrated this and set it up, and we are going to have fun as a church living it out. And it's been my great privilege to be able to share that with you this morning. Thank you very much. Okay. It's Kevin's turn. I want you to, you know, I know, I'm the old guy. He's the young guy. He's the guy on crutches. I'm the guy that walks up here on my own power. So you can figure that out. (laughs) However you want to figure that out. But while he makes his way up, take a look at the video.
I know what you're thinking. Incredibly reassuring that our young hip pastor is hobbling up onto stage with crutches. We know he'll lead us for the next 30 years, and there's no problem there. Uh, man, I am so excited for what God's doing. And before I say anything, I just have to say we are incredibly blessed to have Ron as our pastor, aren't we? He's just an amazing guy. Yeah, Ron, we love you. We love you. Sixteen years ago, Ron and Monica sensed from God that he was giving them a new calling and a new direction in ministry uh, at a time when many pastors would have said, we've got a great thing going here. They were in Hawaii leading a church that was doing great, and God called them to one of the most unchurched areas in the United States here in Petaluma. And, And I don't know about you. Listen, I love Petaluma. It's beautiful. There are only a few places in the country that I think are more beautiful, but Hawaii would be a tough sell, right? And a lot of people would have said no. No, God, I'm happy right here. But Ron and Monica said, yes. And that choice that they made has impacted us in more ways than we could ever imagine. It's impacted you. It's impacted your family. And it will impact your family for generations to come. And I really believe we won't understand the full, the force of their impact until we see it one day in eternity. Ron is an incredible leader, an incredible person. And I'm, I'm so happy that God has used him. I love the vision that that Ron and Monica and the leadership team created to be a church to reach people in our city. I love being a part of that vision, and the way that Ron has lived out that vision for the last 15 years as our lead pastor has impacted you and I in more ways than we imagine. We are who we are in large part because of the way that Ron has lived out the church for so many years. And I'm incredibly blessed to be able to be the one to follow Ron on this great vision and to do what God has called us to do, because I, I love our church. I do. I love our church. I love you. I love the vision that God is giving you and your family, the way he's moving in your life. I love the vision that God is giving you to reach our city and to impact our community, the way he's he's strategically placed you in your job and in your career to work and to move and to transform our city with the love of Jesus. I, I love you guys. I love the vision that, that God gave Ron 15 years ago because really that is my heart for the church. He shared that Acts 2 community vision when I was a 22-year-old kid. That scripture, that very one, was the one that God placed on my heart, and it's been the driving force for me uh, for my entire life, my entire ministry, to be that kind of church. And 10 years ago, when I started coming to New Life, and then five and a half years ago, when I joined the staff team, I realized I'd found a friend, I found a mentor, and I found a pastor in Ron whose vision for ministry and vision for church was in line with what God was beginning to form in my life. And I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. And as I've prayed about this day, as I've prayed about sharing with you, God brought one scripture to mind from Joshua chapter 1. And the backstory of this scripture is that Moses, who was one of the most epic leaders of the nation of Israel, Moses who led God's people out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery, of poverty, of hopelessness, Moses who was the only leader that these people had known, Moses who was the person who had in many ways restored these people's faith in God. Moses has just transitioned out of the senior leadership role, and he's turned the reins over to a young leader named Joshua. And these are the words that God says to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So be bold, be strong, and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land 
that I swore to their ancestors to give them. And God gives three promises in this short scripture. The first promise is that he's going to be with the people in the transition, because a lot of them were scared. All they had known was Moses's leadership. They loved Moses. Moses was an incredible leader, and he was the one who had guided them to a place of freedom that they never dreamed was possible. And he says, I'm going to be with you in this transition. He promised the people that the the vision and the mission of what they were going to do was not going to change. He said, I promised your ancestors I would take them into this promised land, this beautiful place for them, and I'm going to use Joshua to now lead you into that place that I promised to them. And he promised them that he would draw the people to himself as they continued to follow after him. And friends, we have a similar opportunity to, to continue the vision that God laid on Ron's heart and Monica's heart 16 years ago to plant a church to reach our city. And I can tell you the vision and the mission of our church is not going to change. We are going to be a people who love God and love our city so radically, so differently, that we just reach our city with the incredible good news that there's a God who loves every man, every woman, and every child in Petaluma. And he loves them so much that he gave his only son to die on a cross so they could could experience forgiveness of their sins, so they could be restored back to their heavenly father. That's our vision. That's our mission. That's our heartbeat. And it's the thing that will never change that will never change. And I'm honored, and I'm humbled, and I'm excited to move into this lead pastor role. And a friend on our senior leadership team asked me about a month ago, he said, are you scared at all? I said, yeah, actually, thanks for asking. I'm terrified. I'm a little bit terrified, and here's why. I believe God's inviting me to take his hand and inviting us to take his hand and take a huge step of faith together. And I believe this is our time. Because for generations, for generations, men and women have prayed for a church in Petaluma that would love God and would love people so incredibly that we would reach our city. And I believe New Life Christian Fellowship is that church. I believe he's uniquely set us up with a heart to love people, and the summer has shown it, to love God and to love people in amazing ways. I believe he's given us the breadth and the influence to actually do it, to impact our city in a way that changes the face of our community. I believe he's working in each one of you and in myself individually and as a collective group to move forward in this mission and move forward in this movement. So am I scared? A little bit. I'm a little terrified because I believe that this is our time to do something that no church in the history of our city has ever done, to change the spiritual climate with the incredible news that there's a creator God who loves them and wants to have a relationship with them. So I invite you, uh, join me in these next five months, in praying, in figuring out what God wants to do in you, and praying for our leadership as, as we move forward. And I want to say thanks, church. Thank you for accepting me when I was a 22-year-old kid with a tongue ring and big plugged ears and ridiculous bleach-spiked hair who just came into the church. Thank you for inviting me in and trusting me with your kids five and a half years ago when I came on staff. Thanks for letting me lead and guide and form you, and thank you that You clapped and didn't boo when they announced that I'd be the new lead pastor. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. God's doing something in our midst, and I'm so excited to lead us in the next stage of reaching our city with the transforming love of Jesus. Do join me as we pray together. God, thank you so much for what you have been doing for generations in Petaluma that men and women have prayed and looked to this day when a church would rise up that would love you so deeply and love our city so powerfully that it would change the spiritual climate. Thank you for those men and women who have faithfully prayed for this day. 
Thank you for this community of Jesus followers that I'm with right now, Lord, that you have called us and equipped us and are moving us into our city to be that church, to reach the next generation, to be that church, to change the spiritual climate. And we ask, God, that you would use us as we move forward. Thank you for Ron and Monica and their vision, God. Thank you so much that they are staying right here, that Ron will continue to pastor and lead and guide our church. Thank you for his heart, his vision, his passion, his leadership, and his friendship to so many of us, and for the ways that he and Monica have have literally changed our lives. Lord, we ask now that you would do all the things that you're promising, that you would guide us to be that church that uniquely reaches our city. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm so excited. You guys are going to have the opportunity to hear from two of our staff members that I absolutely love, Justin and Angela. So take a look at the screens, and then we're going to welcome Justin up onto the stage. Thanks. Um, yeah, that was uh, pretty, that's, that made me sound like a rock star. That was pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> I did like that picture of me that you started out with um, when I had hair. That was nice. Um, but even at that young age, I was already showing the signs of a daredevil, of a risk taker. I, I guess I just needed a challenge or to be a little bit scared. Um, <clears throat> with my physical activities. And um, to prove it, I actually dug through and I found something. When I was 18, I decided it was a good idea to build a ramp. And that nothing could go wrong with that, right? Oh, yeah, that is me. That really is. Oh, and, and in slow-mo, in case you missed it the first time. Uh, yeah, and notice that no helmet. That was uh, definitely in the 90s. Uh, I can't get away with that now. But uh, I did not fall flat on my face. I fell flat on my every other part of my body. But um, when I was 15, I was invited to church, and that was a little too risky for me. But I was promised some cool music and pretty girls would be there. Um, even though I was way too shy to even talk to a girl, I decided 
Uh, that was a pretty good, sounded pretty good. So I went. It was when I was at church that I encountered Jesus, and my life has been risky ever since. <clears throat> when I decided to follow Jesus, my life went through a lot of upheaval. Not only did God go to work on my behaviors and my lifestyle, but I encountered a lot of opposition. I got opposition from my family. Um, I was made fun of at school for being a Christian. Uh, I was countlessly asked to defend something in the Bible or defend something that some so-called Christian said or did to somebody. But in spite of that opposition, I made a a choice at an early age that I was going to follow God's call, answer his calls whenever they came up. And at the age of 15, I decided to answer God's call to help lead my uh, worship at my youth group. I decided to answer his call at age 17 to go to a Christian college and to be, uh, pursue full-time ministry. I answered his call again to move to Petaluma and work with this brand-new church called New Life, to go back to school for accounting, to take over the troubled finances of the church, to take the my family and the church through Financial Peace University, to begin setting yearly goals in my life, to begin learning about leadership and business and communication, to begin living healthy, begin blogging, decide to give till it hurts, uh, increase my volunteering, and one of my more frightening endeavors, public speaking. So um, I don't say all this to just tell you how great I am, because, listen, I'm really not that great. In fact, on my own, I'm the opposite of great. But in spite of me, God has done more in and through me than I could have imagined as a 15-year-old kid just trying to meet some girls. God is continuing to call me to new things. And in spite of my current, or uh, in addition to my current responsibilities, I'm answering God's call to uh, take the youth group through not a fan, this life group session, while we continue to look for a full-time youth pastor. So the reason I'm really excited about this is because it was in youth group that my faith journey was sparked and cemented. And I know it has the opportunity to do the same for our students here at New Life. If you know a junior high or senior higher, or if you are one, I promise you, you don't want to miss it. We're going to start meeting on October 8th on Tuesday nights. And you, you'll want to want to be there because not a fan is going to revolutionize our students and it's actually going to revolutionize our church. I wish, yeah. Yeah, good. I wish that I could say that I've always answered God's call and that I've always taken risks in my walk with Christ but I can't, like many of you, you can't say that. Um, I can honestly say, um, after 20 years of being a Christian, that my first three years of walking with Christ and the last three years have been my most fruitful, which means that I've got about a 14-year span where I was kind of in cruise control. I took the occasional step of faith, but I wasn't willing to put in the work for God to work in and through me to my greatest potential. I do know that I'm continuing to answer God's call and that he's inviting you to do the same. 
this is our time for God to work in and through us in ways we could have never imagined. God is moving. We just need to answer his call. whisper to Justin. You know, in baseball, when a batter comes up, they always play some song in the stadium to get them riled up. That is that song for me. That video gets me. I love that thing. That was made by somebody that gets me. That was made by my husband. He did an excellent job. Thanks, Levy. (laughs) So uh, my whole life, I grew up being somebody's something. Uh, When I was little, I was Donald G's granddaughter. And in the Midwest, that totally meant something. And then I was uh, the pastor's youngest kid. And then when I went off to college, where my sister had gone two years in front of me, I was Lisa's little sister. I've always been somebody's something. So when I came on staff, uh, Coon's age ago, (coughs) too long to count apparently, I just, it was obvious to see myself in light of that, that I was a tool in God's hands. And it just made sense because my whole life I had wanted to be on the front lines. I did not want to be left to the sidelines. I wanted to make a difference and an impact. But I did not know really how to go about that. So the way that I went about it was to just work really hard. I figured that way I wouldn't be left out. I will work really hard. And that kind of really hard uh, was too hard. It was the kind of hard that hardened me. And I took a scripture that was a beautiful scripture, and uh, I will read it here. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And I used it to just beat myself with it. It was a total checklist kind of a thing. In fact, I read a quote just a couple of weeks ago that summed up perfectly what I was experiencing. You can do the work of God at a pace that destroys the work of God in you. And I did not realize that I had a theological crack And uh, three burnouts later and one vacation where I spent the entire week crying with my poor newlywed husband. I had, (laughs) we were supposed to be on vacation, but I was in the midst of a total theological meltdown. I had run out of steam again. I hit my rock bottom and I needed to address what is the matter. And God began at that point, because I turned it over to him, began to rebuild my framework of faith in such a way that it was sustainable. And I realized that I loved God, or at least I thought I loved God, but I did not really know God. I did not really get him. And so I was simply compensating for wanting to make an impact, and instead of doing it with God, I was doing it for God. And I uh, began to rebuild my faith, but the real test for me was when the staff said, hey, it's time for you to take over life groups. This is the right thing for our church. This is the right thing for you. 
but I knew I'm in huge trouble because I was already at my capacity, and this was a bigger dream than I could uh, saddle myself with. So I told God, and this is not the method I would recommend uh, publicly, but I told God, you get one shot. This is it. (laughs) Because I'd already burned out so many times, I knew I did not have another one in me. And I had no backup plan. This was my chosen profession. This is what I wanted to do. But if he wanted me to do this, he was going to have to step up. And I, I don't know why I thought God wouldn't step up. It was clear that he, he was in this decision. However, I needed to make the all-in bet. I needed to cure something. And I knew since college, I knew that I had an issue with self-reliance. And I had been struggling with it for years and years and years. But I knew this thing, this all-in bet was my time to seize the day and go in with God and hit the end of my rope where he could show up. And God gave me this verse in Corinthians. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My mantra during that season was good luck to you, God, because I gave it all I had, but he needed to show up. And I love what comes right after. It's the same verse. It's just the second half of that verse. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Where I ended, that was where God started to show up. So my weaknesses, my, my uh, propensity towards self-reliance, I have a bit of a naive streak that leaves me open to things. I have a draw to the emotional response instead of to the logical one, sadly. And I have theology issues sometimes that pop up that give Satan the space in my life to suck the life out of me. But I will boast all the more greatly that even in a sinner like me, the vast beauty of God can be on display that it isn't about what I can do. The trick that I learned was that I was trying to do for God what God wanted to do through me. And I was putting an emphasis on the outer life, the things I could get done, the projects I could take on, the hours I could put in, instead of concentrating on the inner life, the connection that I have with God, developing a true friendship with him, getting to know him, getting to know his perspective on me that when I put the emphasis on the inner life, that was when God began to do things in me that were so much bigger than anything I could tackle in my overtime or in my efforts. And I would say the same thing for you. An all-in bet is not a call to overtime. An all-in bet is a call to the inner life, to take the time to meet with God and let him work through you and in you. You are sensing around here When we keep talking about this is our best summer yet and God's got great things for our fall, when we come into church with burdens and we leave lighter, what's happening is that you are rubbing shoulders. We are rubbing shoulders with each other. We are being led by pastors who are experiencing God in real time and God is doing stuff in them that they could not do on their own. And it's contagious. Those 54 leaders that are going to be leading our life groups, those 13 coaches, the people that you are coming here to church with and going to be leading in our life groups are people that are encountering God, and it is growing. It is a growing sense in our community. Imagine if all the more of us, imagine if all of us did an all-in bet with God. I'm a living example of something that Jesus said in the book of John. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but those who dwell in me as I dwell in them bear much fruit. Both the positive and the negative. I can work really hard and accomplish very little. I can accomplish nothing. But if I will just work with God, I can bear much fruit, which was the thing that I wanted. In fact, I'm learning that to the Christian, the supernatural is both super, which is implied, but it's also natural. That's the way that we were meant 
to live as Christians. And I have two promises that I just keep tucked in my back pocket mentally that I want to share with you out of, the, uh, out of Chronicles. Now, my son or my daughter, the Lord be with you, and may you have success and build the house of the Lord your God as he said you would. That is us. This is our time building the house of God. And then secondly, and this is for those of us that live in the everyday knowledge that we are the weak part of that verse about his power being made perfect in our weakness. This one brings me great courage to do the all-in bet. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose hearts are blameless towards him. He is waiting for you to make that all-in bet. What I want to challenge you to is this fall, use it as a trial run. If you can believe the words of God, and I believe you can take the words of God to the bank, absolutely. If you can believe those words and do an all-in bet with God with this fall, use it as a trial run. This not a fan material has the power to revolutionize our church community. Heck, this is our time. Let's do it. I would like to, to uh, wrap up our time here by asking our church leadership, our spiritual stewards, our pastor's management team, and our um, pastoral staff to come up here. We're going to pray together in unity over our church, over this next season, over this transition, over Ron and Kevin. And Justin's going to do that for us. All right, I'm going to invite you to join with me. Um, I'm going to warn you that this might be a dangerous prayer, but... Um, I know God's calling us to it, so let's pray. God, I thank you for what you're doing in and through this church, God, and how you're moving. I thank you for Ron and Kevin and how you're moving in them. God, I pray for this transition, not only that it would go smoothly, but, God, that, it would, that they would thrive in it. God, that, that they would continually press into you um, with a, a vital unity and hear what it is that you have for us moving forward. And, God, I pray for us as a church, each individual here today, uh, that makes up this church, God. I'm, I'm saying, Lord, that we are ready for you to move in us, God, to pull us out of our comfort zone. Lord, we're ready to take a risk. We're ready to seize this moment, God, and we're ready to follow you wherever it is that you um, want to lead us. And so, God, we, um, we ask you to do something amazing and, and life-altering in, our, in, in us, Lord, and we're ready and we're open and we're willing to, to take on this new challenge. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.